everybody. Welcome to The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. I'm Johnny Torres, your host as always, and uh, it's nice to be back after we took a little uh, four-day weekend with uh, the 4th of July having been last weekend, so no, we didn't go anywhere. We uh, just, uh, you know, took a little bit of a break, but we are happy to be back because there is a lot to talk about. In fact, uh, more than we can probably cover in today's show, but we're certainly going to make an effort to do that. Um, before we get into today's cast, let's get into today's topics. We're going to be talking about Jelaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's longtime girlfriend, um, and of course, uh, what uh, is going to be going on with her in terms of testimony, you know, who is she going to um, let out of the bag, and uh, you know, what is uh, she going to keep tight and close to her vest, and uh, will she even make it to a trial at this point? Uh, so that's going to be a fun one to pick apart. Schools, the big uh, topic that everyone's talking about as we get closer to opening day for our school systems, you know, should they open, should they not reopen virtually, in person, uh, what are we doing? Uh, we'll talk about all the pros and cons to reopening our schools. And the Goya boycott, uh, the CEO of Goya Food Products, made a big stink after appearing with the president. Uh, and we'll talk about how that, uh, like many other liberal boycotts, has kind of blown up in their face. And to bring it home, we're going to be talking about a little bit of a local issue uh, that's happened. We've got a brand new $96 million pier over in the city of St. Petersburg um, that has been pretty much taken over by protesters. And so we'll talk about the, the outcome of that and how that's affecting the community at large. And what does that mean for spending money on big projects like that uh, going forward. All right, let's go over to today's cast. Uh, joining me is a lot of Chris's. All right. Too many Chris's. <laughs> That's right. Uh, right next to me, Chris Verkylin. How you doing, bud? Hi, y'all. I've been recruiting over. actively recently. Uh, got us a couple of new haters. Not new fans, but more haters. So more viewers than the last. Hey, exactly. You know, sometimes the, the haters are more passionate uh, viewers than, than the, the followers. So, um, <laughs> And over in the bottom corner across from me, Chris Licata, who's uh, been away for a bit. Welcome back, Chris. It's nice to be back, John. And then uh, the, the, the masked man here, the masked singer for the episode, if you will, Anibal Cabrera. And We've asked him to wear that for the entire show for the safety no, of everyone I'm, involved. I'm not <laughs> wearing this at all for the entire show. <laughs> but I wear, it's now a fashion icon to have it all over your ear, so it's okay. Well, one of the things that I've binged uh, during this whole quarantine and everything, you know, was uh, the Netflix documentary about Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. And uh, it, it's absolutely remarkable uh, how high profile this guy was and still managed to fly under the radar. Um, and, and of course, all the people that he's been tied to, uh, including our current and former presidents. Uh, and so, you know, uh, as everybody I think knows by now, uh, he was awaiting uh, trial uh, for a lot of the sex trafficking, uh, you know, and, and even some with minors uh, that he had been accused of. And in that process, uh, allegedly killed himself. Um, and then of course, even the uh, documentary, uh, you know, brings into question as to whether or not he did kill himself. And so um, fast forward to, uh, you know, the summer of love. And uh, now his girlfriend, Jelaine Maxwell, has been arrested uh, for being one of co-conspirators 
uh, and uh, an accessory to a lot of the child sex trafficking that was taking place. Uh, and they've already got her on suicide watch. Apparently they've got her wearing paper clothing. Um, so she has no bed sheets, no actual clothing, um, so that, uh, of course she doesn't, uh, accidentally kill herself. Uh, <laughs> guys, um, we know a lot of the big names associated here, Prince Andrew, uh, former president Clinton, lots of celebrities. Um, some are even saying Tom Hanks, uh, you know, which I think is, is maybe the most shocking one of all, uh, and even current president Trump. Uh, you know, does this lady make it to trial? Does anybody get ratted out in this? I mean, in my opinion, uh, I want to see justice for all these young ladies, you know, that were affected by this guy for a period of 20, 30 years. Um, but, you know, does this truly take down anybody, you know, out of all these big names that have been floated around, you know, is, is there someone that's going to go down for this hard? Anibal, go for it. I want to say if... So the theory is right now, and the tomorrow, she's actually going for arraignment to see if she's able to go get out on bail. And if theory so shows it right, why would you put someone in jail or keep them in jail during this uh, epidemic? So they're going to be fighting the fact that uh, she's not a flight risk. She's not, she has too many ties to the United States. So why would she leave? And, and that's going to be the argument. Uh, do I think she wins that argument? I don't think she wins that argument. I think what's going to happen is they're going to they're going to do a non-bail, and she's going to she's going to be able to to wait this out in jail. I do fear for the fact that she will probably be uh, something tragic will happen to her, and justice will then move on to the next person. Because if she goes, then you just allow conspiracy theories to run amok, and that's something we don't want to happen. We want legitimacy when it comes to it. Now there are the Daily Mail and the Star are saying that she has almost like a dead man uh, envelope, that if she goes, then she's gonna let the whole thing just collapse and blow onto itself. But I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how many people get knocked out of this. And these will probably be very prominent, and she's already said it, and they allegedly, through third party individuals that know about the dead man switch, is that uh, she has multiple politicians sex tapes with these individuals. And the, and this is just going to keep on developing if she does go to trial and it, and it gets released, how much information. Just the arrest warrant alone was difficult enough for them to get to get her um, to prosecute her because the District of Manhattan didn't want to do it until he got fired and Burr had to put someone else in there. So it's, it's so convoluted and it's so conspiracy this conspiracy but if she lives a lot of people are going to go down and if she goes i don't know i i, I would be very surprised if anyone uh, is taken down after if she if she if she is suicided then i doubt anyone's going to be taken well Nebel, i mean you've said in previous shows uh, on other topics you know that uh, it's rare for us to see people in power go down you know for just about anything you know, so really, you know, to what extent is this going to be actually be able to bring down some people of power? Like you said, I think right now the, the, the thing that's most anticipated and the worst thing that could happen for these people that, um, that committed these crimes is for these tapes to come out. But I think this should come out regardless. Um, you know, and, but the most interesting thing that you just mentioned, which I think people need to, to go back and look deeper into, is the fact that the 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 prosecutor in New York was not willing 
to bring her to justice. And, and so while they were trying to make this out, like Trump was trying to hide something else and it had to do with, you know, all these other issues that Trump has had during his presidency, you know, now that Barr actually put somebody else in there, now we were able to bring her to justice and, and hopefully the, the victims of Julian Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein will actually get some justice at the end of the day for the crimes that were committed against them. You know, Bernie yeah. Island, I, I don't think you've watched uh, the documentary yet, right? But, you know, it's, uh, you, you know, what's kind of your take on this? I mean, you know, there's a lot of powerful people here involved. You know, is it one of those things that, you know, it should all come out? Um, or do you think that this is, you know, going to get all swept under the rug? As per the status quo, I've got a eerie feeling that it's not going to be all brought to light. Um, I haven't watched the documentary yet, but from what I've learned in the last few minutes about what you guys have spoken about, I definitely want to now. Um, I think the flight logs alone, people that we've seen have gone to this island, that we have every, every impetus to believe is a pedophile island is alarming enough. I think that those people should be dissociated from just for being associated with Jeffrey Epstein. I think that if there's any way we can investigate this without Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, it needs to be done. Um, unfortunately, I think she's one of the last surviving people that has evidence of what happened here. So I hope we have good people that are watching her, that are keeping her alive so we can get the beans spilled in this one. Well, and I don't think we'd even be at this point, you know, again, if the federal government hadn't gone in, raided the house in Palm Beach years ago, uh, then raided the house in, in New York. Obviously, there's a lot of other complications, you know, for his properties that were in other countries, including the uh, the island, uh, you know, that he has. Uh, but what what's even crazier about all this, and I think it just goes to the sickness that is pervasive in someone who's willing to do this sort of thing, is... Uh, the amount of evidence that is present, you know, and, uh, and I think Epstein knew that. And that's why, you know, um, he took his own life or, or, or someone took it for him because there was just an overwhelming amount of evidence. And even in the documentary, they talked about all the hidden cameras that they had throughout all the different properties uh, where he used to host uh, his uh, elite friends. Uh, Lakata, you following this story? And, uh, and do you think anybody, any big names go down for this? Well, I, I, yes, I, I think there's going to be some big names that come out of this. Um, I'm personally not one to think that there's a, a I don't know if this is what anyone else here has alluded to, but uh, there's a, a global cabal of, of powerful players. I, I think that the, 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 the elite of the world, the, the powerful people of the world tend to hang out together and uh, they, uh, they, they tend to show up at the same parties. So I, I, I don't know if it's as coordinated as a, a lot of us might, you know, a lot of the conspiracy theories might think it is. Um, but that it is, you know, that, that Jeff Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein and, uh, and his girlfriend here were, were definitely doing some, some terrible, terrible things. And, they have some very important people mixed up in it. But what I think is humorous is that you have so many powerful people that aren't talking to each other that are mixed up in it. And they're all kind of vying against each other to, to, to squash the story. They're not working with each other. Um, 
no, that's my personal opinion of the whole thing. So, well, you you know, to, go ahead, anyone. I'm sorry. I have to agree with uh, Lakata that what you're going to see, just because there's a picture of someone with Epstein or with the girl with Maxwell, doesn't necessarily mean that they are guilty of the acts that they themselves took place in. So we have to be very careful. Now, the whole uh, the release of names from the charter planes, that is something that definitely needs to be looked into and needs to be reported upon more because why are you going to this island that was definitely used for inappropriate activities? Whereas you're at the Met Gala and you just happen to take a picture with them. That's two different sets of, of positions. And then they, they keep on trying, and you hear this in the media that they're trying to bring in Trump onto this conversation also. And it's like they have to bring in a picture from like the, the early, early 90s. And, but they always fail to understand that um, Epstein and Trump actually had a falling out in the 90s, and he actually got kicked out of Mar-a-Lago because reports of he was bringing, uh, he was hitting the underage girls at Mar-a-Lago. And so he got, his membership was dissolved. So we have to be very careful when it comes to um, proximity, accusing those individuals of doing inappropriate things. But the, what's happening now is that the federal government needs to move forward on this trial as quickly as possible because the, the conspiracy theories are running out of control um, uh, to the point where uh, Way, Wayfield is now implemented in this huge sex trafficking ring because oh, of Wayfair. Yeah, well, Wayfair now because of a picture of Maxwell and I think the vice president of operations at Wayfair. So, like, this, it's just, it's, everything is going to get wrapped in. Do I think it's a global situation? It might be. Very rich and powerful people want to work with rich and powerful people. And if you are in that position to provide them with an escape or with some kind of a service, we're going to say, then you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of opportunities to blackmail these people. Do I think there are videotapes of very powerful people in the vaults of Epstein's house when it was raided? I do think there are. And I feel that that all should be released to the public and that should be, and those people should be prosecuted for what they did bringing this out longer and longer is just going to cause more problems. It needs to be dealt with as quickly as possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we're obviously going to be following that story. Um, but again, you know, uh, uh, you know, to what you just said, Anibal, uh, I think if Trump felt that in any way that he could be implicated uh, in, in any of these crimes, you know, the last thing he would do is put in a prosecutor who was actually going to bring Maxwell in and then and, and get her to trial. Um, if, if there was even the slightest remote opportunity that he would somehow be implicated in all this. And so I think he, 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 they're, they're operating on a clean conscience here. And, uh, in, and honestly, you know, if, uh, if it is this prosecutor brought in by Barr and technically the Trump administration, you know, I think that's going to be a win for the Trump administration if they're able to get some justice uh, out of all this. Yeah, let me jump right back in. Um, I, I think the the reverse is also true i i think we're going to hear you know very lefty or or liberal big names that probably have nothing to do with any of this as well i mean we're, we're very quick obviously to to say you know yeah trump had a falling out with jeffrey epstein back in the 90s that the media is not paying attention to i i think there's other names i i personally just don't think this goes as deep as the conspiracy theories thinks it goes do you um, think the clintons yeah, real bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it looks. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the October surprise that the release of the tapes and the 
all this stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the October surprise that tanks any kind of decent conversation that's had. I, I, I just wouldn't be. This would be the only thing I could think of that could tank um, a Joe Biden or or even but Joe a, Biden's running, not Bill Clinton. That's true. Oh, Joe, Joe might be on there too. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the you know what's interesting is. Yeah, what's interesting is that in the documentary, one of the people that are pointed out pretty severely is Alan Dershowitz, who obviously is a big liberal icon attorney um, and, you know, has represented very powerful people in all this. And, you know, whereas uh, initially in the documentary, they make it out to be like, well, he's just Jeffrey Epstein's attorney. Eventually he gets to the point where one of the women say that she had relations multiple times with Alan Dershowitz and all this. And so that was one of the big names, you know, but then, you know, he's still out there, you know, and he's still out there doing his thing. And, you know, and, and, and why hasn't he been brought to justice and all this? So he did um, an interview just a few months back where he was confronted with these allegations. And he said, well, yes, I went there for a massage, but I kept my underwear on and I don't like massages. And I'm like, this is disgusting. Like this, these accusations need to be fully vetted and it needs to be opened out to the public for these people to be shamed, ridiculed, and then brought to justice. Well, well, like I said, we'll definitely be watching that story. And uh, man, if uh, if it does end up having an effect on the election, I mean that that certainly is going to be a curveball that we didn't see coming. Um, now, let's talk about an issue that affects half of us in, uh, on today's show, and the other half uh, doesn't really care. But <laughs> it's uh, whether schools are going to reopen or not. Uh, you know, come this August. Uh, you know, I have a few teachers in, in my life and they're all still getting prepared as if, you know, schools are going to reopen. Obviously, the governor has made it clear uh, here in Florida that uh, that schools are going to reopen. But what does that look like? And I think that's where we get into a lot of uh, disagreements and a lot of uh, different scenarios. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 I think that um, much like, you know, wasn't the best example, but much like the way the governor said, you know, if we can have our grocery stores open and Walmart and Home Depot and these kind of places where hundreds and thousands of people are coming and going every single day, uh, then there's no way, reason why we shouldn't be able to uh, have our kids uh, go back to school well, as long as safety precautions are being uh, taken into consideration. Um, now, uh, I mean, how do you guys feel about it? I mean, I, I think we're all kind of more in the reopening of the state type of thing. Uh, Verkylin, I mean, do you, do you see us uh, going back to school, back to normal, uh, come come August? I think we need to. I think there's no way the economy is going to rebound if we don't. I think it's untenable position to think that uh, having schools open is an immense danger to our kids. It's already been shown in a lot of peer-reviewed studies, and we have a lot of evidence to suggest that 99.995% of kids are not going to have complications from this. Of course, we have the issue of grandparents in the home, which is also a rarity. We have the issues of parents who are immunocompromised, but we as society have to remember that we make our rules and legislations based on the vast majority. We don't make our policies based on the rare exception. What we do is we have programs and exceptions for those cases, but we don't dictate how society is going to be run because of that. So I've seen a lot of uh, goalposts shifting here based on what we should and should not do. And, you know, now we're seeing with the newspapers and the uh, the national news uh, networks, they're basing Florida's failure or you can you can see it's a it's a it's a hoax because it's um, 
all red state, it's all, they're blaming all red states. Basically, all the deaths are spiking in red states. Basically, everything has gone up and down in all the blue states, all the high density uh, states like uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, L.A. It's already run its course. It's already killed everyone there. And we have had this gentle upslope. And, like, we're kind of just, you know, we're going up a little bit now. But, like, we're, we're, right now, to, at today, we have one-eighth of the death count that New York does. One-ninth of the death count New Jersey does. So it's so dishonest to call us a failure and so dishonest to say that this is a reason we should have our schools locked down and keep our economy closed. So uh, I think we should refer to Chris though, because you, you have, you both have kids. I mean, tell me, tell me what you think about sending your kids to school. If you feel, feel, feel safe about this. Yeah. I mean, to me, a lot of it is, so, so it's interesting. I have two perspectives here. I, I have a four-year-old and I have a mother-in-law who is a, um, who's a middle school teacher. And uh, so, so it's very, two very different perspectives. I think from one end, it's, you know, my mother-in-law is um, older, we'll say. Uh, she's my mother-in-law. And, um, you know, so there's a concern there of, right, the kids aren't going to catch it, but what about their teachers? What about teachers with seniority? Are, are those teachers thinking about putting in for early retirement? What does that do? to the system as a whole. Like, yeah, I, I'm a public policy wonk. So, you know, I'm just kind of looking at this like, okay, you could actually have a, a large amount of seniority teachers walking off the job the way we've had blue flu. Um, that could be a problem, right? That could be a really serious problem if teachers don't feel that they're safe. I don't think it's a problem for the kids. Um, as far as the way Democrats are attacking kids or anything, I, I, to me, I just chalk that up as the soft bigotry of low expectations. I have a four-year-old who wears his mask all the damn time, all right, when he's out in public, all right, because he'll tell me, Dad, I wear my mask because I'm protecting myself from the germs. Now, I understand there's a lot of people that are like, oh, that's political, that's whatever. The point is, is that he's four and he gets it. You tell him, look, here, here's how you, you wash your damn hands, Here's what you do. And he goes, okay, he's, very, you know, he's four and he's able to follow these instructions. Now for us who are grownups and like, okay, well now hold on, where does my Liberty end? That, that's a legitimate question. But for kids, you know, for, especially for elementary school kids, look, if you tell them to wash their hands, they're going to wash their hands, especially when they see how concerned the grownups are. Um, kids don't really get rebellious until they, they hit the preteen years. And again, with the mother-in-law who is in the middle school age bracket, you know, I think her biggest concern is her own health. And then do you end up with a hotspot of kids, you know, I mean, kids are generally in the middle school, high school age bracket, you know, generally swapping spit with three different people per day, you know, it's, uh, just kind of high school. That, what kind of life did you have in high school? Chris? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I went to a, I went to a military boarding high school. Okay, the, the girls were on a different campus. Sir. <laughs> let's let's back away from this conversation real slowly. <laughs> but I think I'll, I will say this: I feel that it is necessary for schools to be allowed to reopen in August or whatever months uh, nationally schools are allowed to open up. I think there is a highly I mean, the administrators and the leaders have had months now to figure out how to open schools back up safely. It has been, in Hillsborough County, the kids haven't been back since mid-March. So that's been a very long time. I think, and after seeing some other 
districts do polling, you're going to have 70 to 80% of, of parents sending their kids back when schools reopen. So I'm not really concerned with the children, honestly. I'm not even really concerned about what's happening in the households of those children because their parents are making the decision to allow their children to go back to school with that form of risk. I am more concerned about teachers that are in the certain uh, age brackets or they have underlying health conditions that need to be taken care of. And that's where the union needs to be taking place into this. If if a if there's a teacher that's in their 30s, has no medical issues, and doesn't have a problem teaching that class with the, with the possibility of getting sick, then they should be allowed to teach that class. If there's a teacher that is close to 60 years old, a year or two from retirement with preconditions, then that teacher probably shouldn't be in a classroom and should either be do, teaching, they should move them to virtual teaching because that's what's going to happen. You should be given the option, come August, are you going to do virtual teaching or are you going to do in-class teaching? Because that's where the option should be. Because some parents are going to be like, no, we have grandparents at home. No, we have elderly at home. Or we ourselves have preconditioned, we have pre-health conditions. So our kids will be virtually learning until this dies down. Give people the option. You need to give individuals the option to allow the system to work itself through. The, the minutia that's being built now is that it's become a political issue that Republicans don't want to, that Republicans want people to get sick and that's why they want kids to go back. It's not a political thing. These kids need to be educated. You don't want to have school until there's a vaccine, which could take another year. Do you really want to have that conversation? It's stupid. Well, and, and if, I, if I can just jump right in right there, it, I think the other problem is, you know, again, my son's four, so he, he's going into VPK. So it's not necessarily, but he's been in daycare since, since he was three months old. Um, but the, the, the overall point is like, okay, he's not playing with his letters every day here at home. He's not playing with his numbers every day here at home. He's not, he's not tracing out the alphabet. Like he's in the early stages here, but it's like, he's not getting to do that stuff. And this is a conversation my wife and I had is like, he needs, he needs to go back to school. Number one, because he needs the education. Number two, um, my goodness, is he just going stir crazy? Uh, because, he wants to go play with other kids again. Yeah. He wants to, yeah. He wants to interact like other than like the one neighborhood kid that he has that happens to be his same age that we get along with, you know, like he wants to go play in a classroom full of kids, his age. He wants to socialize. Like it's not good for him to be cooped up in the house with us. As one of the largest counties or school systems in Florida and maybe even the country, not the largest, but a good top, top 10. I expect a lot from our administrators and our leadership here to keep the safety of our teachers in, in act in, in the front of their minds and also the students. Because you have to understand, they, there needs to be some kind of uh, policy and procedures of how this is going to work through, what happens if a kid is actually sick, what happens if a teacher's sick, how, many, how big does this get? Do you close down? Um, the whole school? Do you close down just a classroom or two? Or do you, do you allow that teacher to be put into quarantine? And then the bigger conversation is 14 days in quarantine. That's more than our teachers get days off. So teachers in Hillsborough County only get 10 days, and that's with sick time and vacation. So are you going to charge them for being in quarantine? So like this requires a lot more thought. And again, I expect our leadership here in Hillsborough County to have these 
these thoughtful conversations to be fully vetted by the time August comes around. Because again, I think our kids should go back. I think teachers that don't feel safe or have issues or have complications should be allowed to teach for virtual schooling. But again, there's ways around this. And Ricardo made the comment, like there's ways to change, to put people where they need to go so that they're able to keep on working or they don't have to get sick. But the simple fact of saying, well, we should have schools at all is just, is not an option. Now, do I agree with the Secretary of Education going to a point to where we shouldn't have, uh, you won't get funding if you don't reopen? I think that might be too much. However, you still have Harvard charging $50,000 for, for, for school, for all virtual schooling. So the world is crazy right now when it comes to education. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead. Did you want to say yeah. something else, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't, uh, you know, I won't slander any uh, institution uh, that I might be associated with or not, but there there are places that when this whole thing happened um, back in March that they stopped providing services. They didn't even offer an, a virtual service, and they still continued to charge tuition um, into into April, and uh, that took some some legal manipulation. But um, you know, there this is being quite the experience and quite the uh the headache and a half i i i agree with the secretary of education um where she she says because what it is is that it's the same thing as the the was it um minnesota and the, the they had riots and trump said i'm not paying for that like you you stood down your cops now so if you're gonna have blue states or you're gonna have certain areas of the country they're gonna say no 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 we're not opening our schools then why are you getting a federal block grant for education? Like, like it's, you want me to flip the bill, but you don't want to provide the service for your people. And then you want to blame me for it. It's no. Well, I almost think that I almost think that some of the blue states are intentionally keeping the schools closed. So the parents can go back to work. It seems like an intentional act to me in certain cases, because it's how, how it's being politicized. Um, and you also have these, you have to think about these kids getting their, their education, their lives stolen from them. Every day out of school is a day stolen from that kid's productive adult life. That's very important to consider. Um, one more thing you can think of as far as like innovations, like we're all, we can all think of ways around this. We're all tech savvy. You can have, there's an abundance of college teacher, uh, um, I guess like students, student teachers who can proxy these classes in person while the experienced teacher overlooks it, you know, via a monitor and instructs them what to do. I mean, there's plenty of ways to go about this in a completely safe manner. And I think that if you're not looking at that, you're being disingenuous. Yeah. Well, well and I, you know, I think that the problem is too, uh, guys, and we got to move on to the next topic, but yeah. is that, you know, we want everything simplified and I think everybody wants a black or a white answer. You know, honestly, I think given the current environment, um, you know, and, and all the different circumstances that have to be taken into consideration, there is no black and white answer. I think it's going to be a, a multitude of solutions. You know, there's going to be some virtual schooling, some in-person schooling, and, uh, there's going to be a lot of, uh, changes that are going to have to be made and some are going to be more permanent than others, you know? And so, uh, I think, you know, as, uh, Christopher Kylan just mentioned for the greater good, I think we need to reopen the schools. Um, and, and you can't truly get the economy back to full force without the schools being open. And so those two go hand in hand. And I think, uh, you know, that has to be the natural next step for us here. 
All right. The president announced, uh, you know, an executive order where it would uh, increase uh, opportunity and educational resources in the Hispanic community. And one of the people that were recognized and got a chance to speak uh, um, with the president at this event was the CEO of Goya Foods, Robert Unani. And uh, as one might expect nowadays with the cancel culture, and uh, anybody that even, you know, breathes, you know, the, the, the fact that you may be supporting the president, you know, they want to go ahead and try to cancel you. And, uh, and that's exactly what, uh, what happened here. Um, but like many liberal boycotts before this, uh, it seems like, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A, you know, uh, for one in particular, you know, this one has also seemed to kind of blow up in their face and I think had an equal and opposite reaction from the community. Um, you know, guys, uh, uh, and I know an evil's answer, uh, so I'll go to, well, and Lakata too, you know, I always forget uh, you're Hispanic too, Lakata. So, so my question goes over Kylan. Have you ever even had Goya foods? Uh, I've had Goya. I was actually introduced into it, into it by a friend in middle school who uh, I think he came here from Portugal. Uh, I'm not sure where he came from. But um, anyway, I learned about it from there. And I'm actually, I got, I got a hankering for, for some adobo now. I'm just starving for Hispanic food now. I just feel it's uh, the new way of patriotism is to support Goya. Um, honestly, it's good to see someone who can stand up and support their beliefs. I mean, the fact that people are suppressed and become the silent minority, the silent majority because of this culture we have is kind of gross. And I think that some people that are in the position of the president of Goya need to do more like this and be honest because when someone does good things, it encourages more good things to follow. Uh, unless you want good things to not happen, I go ahead and shun people for doing good things by all means. Well, I mean, it goes back to also the fact that, you know, the left continues to be the most intolerant of the group. You know, the fact that someone can't even agree with the president or support a particular economic initiative without being canceled. Um, <clears throat> Anibal, um, how quickly did you get over to the supermarket to buy some Goya products? Oh, I have them in my pantry. That wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> However, I, ha I did over the weekend go buy um, Publix in West Tampa and see if I could get some supplies. And they were, their shelves were almost empty, actually, of stuff. So uh, we're now seeing this almost overwhelming, uh, it's almost a, a boy back. Uh, well, it's the opposite of a, of a boycott. It's a, uh, a buyback, almost to say. I, I don't know what the verbiage is, but if you just type in Goya um, boycott backfire, you'll read all these articles of people purposely buying more Goya than they need to, buying more stuff to show support. Um, it's, it's, it's too soon to see what the economic impact is when it comes to Goya products, uh, with being sold or being not being sold. So we can't see it right now, but from what I'm seeing, there's, there's no way someone's going to, was it someone made a comment, oh, I'm gonna, I need to figure out how to make adobo uh, without using Goya. And I'm like, that's impossible. It was AOC. It was impossible. AOC. And so it's, it's the shaming just because they don't agree with your position. And it, it's so necessary that we have Hispanic leaders of every community, and now of every community that they just don't agree. And you have to push back with these people when they say that you're supporting systemic racism. And and I found this out on my own self on call. I, someone said the comments to system racism. And I was like, well, give me an example of it. And she was shocked that I pushed back on her on her comment. But then she didn't have a response. And I'm like, well, 
if you can't give me a response and you can't give me where the system, systematic racism is, then stop using that word because you're just using it as a filler, which means you don't know what you're talking about. And I was, this was a very left-leaning group that I was having this, this Zoom call with, but everyone was like in shock, but also a little happy that someone finally stood up to someone continually bashing them just because they weren't making a statement out loud. That's what's to happen. My heart went out when I saw Hispanics stepping up and saying, no, I'm going to still use Goya. Because why, am I, why are you going to punish a company that employs hundreds of thousands of people when someone in their leadership you just don't agree with? If you don't agree with it, that's fine. I meet people all the day long that I don't agree with. There are four people in this chat room right now. One of us probably agree with the other on some stuff. That's okay. When did this become a 1984 situation where you have one part, one person might not agree, and all hell breaks loose. It's, it's, well, I mean, what what that is is that don't you know? Speech is violence. Yes, speech is violence. <laughs> I mean, but that's what that is. Is that well, if you agree with Trump, then then you are the oppressor. You are, you know, it becomes class warfare very very quickly. Um, you well, know, the and, worst and, part is too is is that you know, in the midst of all this, I mean, they're not hurting the CEO. You know, that's a family-owned company. You think that CEO is going anywhere? No. The people that it hurts are the 4,000 employees of Goya, um, you know, primarily in the, in the uh, you know, in Puerto Rico, you know, who depend on Goya for employment and who have already been through a lot, you know, between the earthquakes and the hurricanes and the coronavirus. I mean, this is, this is a territory that has suffered through a lot over the past two years. And, and so now to have their jobs attacked, you know, I think there's, there's probably no better rallying cry uh, for the president among the Hispanic community than, than there was this, because, you know, again, you know, one of the things that you don't mess with are Hispanic people's uh, food, you know, and, uh, and, and they went right for it. And, and I, I don't think, uh, I, I think a lot of people in the Hispanic community did not take well to it. I mean, you're going to have those who were, you know, complicit or at least in support of this ridiculous boycott. Um, but I think it did uh, the left more harm than good in this situation. And it may push people, uh, again, away from the left who continues to be extremist and continue to go further to the left. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe realize that, hey, you know, maybe these people are a little too far out there um, than, than I'm comfortable with. Well, this no longer gives us as like the hundred foot or hundred thousand foot viewpoint of where politics. It's my pantry that brings it so close to home that actually activates people. I'm like, oh my gosh, the Democrats want me not to use Goya anymore because of their comment. That doesn't make any sense, and that's what makes people want to vote and makes you want to get involved in politics when it's their own household that's being impacted by the government. And if you are going to be willing to silence people again. The people, the AOCs of the world, are the reason why we have, why we should be pushing back, and why we are a republic. Because these people think that they're the new, uh, they have a, a, a bully pulpit that they're able to quash people, and make people bend the knee. I mean, seriously, when did everyone, when did the Democrat Party become like the last of American pop, uh, American pop, um, American political families? It's it's. It's absolutely ridiculous how difficult it is becoming to be just someone that has a different thought of mind to actually communicate with these individuals. Like, so irate. And you look at them, and they're just, they're just spitting angry at someone they just met for no reason. Well, and I think, you know, the way that a lot of people in the Hispanic community are going to take this is more of an attack on their culture. 
uh, from the left than them having any opposition. If anything, you know, I'm sure that there's plenty of Latinos out there who are proud that to see someone of their culture, you know, uh, speaking, you know, in front of the White House, standing right next to the president, you know, that that is a badge of honor, whether you agree with them politically or not. You know, and it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I think uh, some people are going to take it as a sense of pride. And then for the left to come and attack that individual, attack that company and all the employees um, of that company, I think, uh, again, is not going to bode well for the liberals come November. Um, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic and our final topic for the day to kind of bring it home. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to thank everybody for watching. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, you can also subscribe to the audio version of our podcast on Google, Spotify, uh, and Apple podcast platforms. Um, uh, we are talking about the continuation of the protests now. Uh, you know they've obviously kind of dwindled off, and uh, they, but they're still happening on a somewhat of a regular basis. Um, and uh, uh, what has uh, transpired is is that the timing of the reopening of the St. Petersburg Pier uh, could not possibly have been worse. Uh, for one, uh, barely anyone uh, attended the grand reopening because of the coronavirus, uh, and then on top of that. Um, the protesters have kind of now deemed it as their unofficial headquarters. Um, and they are meeting there on a regular basis, on a daily basis. They are meeting at the St. Petersburg Pier, uh, something that is supposed to be a tourism attraction and a draw for, for the businesses of downtown St. Petersburg. Um, and, uh, you know, the irony in all of this, uh, as we already saw happen in Seattle and, and other liberal cities, is, is that the mayor really didn't seem to do anything or want to do anything about it until it came literally to his, to his front door. And that's exactly what happened. The protests came to the mayor's front door and uh, arrests were made and the protest was dispersed uh, because, of course, you know, what what's, uh, you know, what's good for you is, is, is not good for me. And, you know, and obviously, you know, he, he uh, once it got a little too close to home, now he took issue with the protest. But, you know, is this a big misfire, you know, by Christman? I mean, to kind of add to his list of misfires, uh, by having opened uh, this uh, St. Petersburg Pier in the midst of not only the pandemic, but also these protests? Well, I'll, stay, I'll start with this one because this is my hangout spot. This is where I like to go. Like when I'm having a, a bad week and I want to go have a nice dinner or I want to go out to get a drink, I go to Beach Tribe. I, go to, I, I didn't go to the pier before, but it's open now. I can go to the pier. Um, the last thing I need is to have my release from my hard week Ruined by people shouting at the top of their lungs, interrupting my dinner, making sure I can't have a good time. Their, their point is that we don't have good lives. So we're going to put it in your face, make sure that you don't have a good life, make sure your life is more miserable. And you're just going to drive people away from your point. People are going to start hating you because of it. They're not going to coalesce to your point of view because you're screaming at them while they're trying to enjoy a steak at, at Park Shore Grill, um, for God's sake. And you're just hurting your own community more. I mean, St. Pete is a very progressive community. They have so many dollars flowing to the, the lower income and underserved parts of the community. And guess what? People aren't going to come here now and spend money so they can't, can't get taxed and put into those programs anymore. You're shooting yourself in the foot, for God's sake. The majority of those protesters are not the ones that are, are taking benefit of the, the services that St. Pete is providing. It is the, and I, I'll say it, the, the 
guilt-filled white American men and women that think that they need to be marching for a cause when they themselves have no cause. And it is very annoying as a, a person of color, honestly, and I hate using my ethnicity as a, a charge, but I think it's stupid and it, it's very offensive. I have, a lot, I have plenty of African-American friends that think it's stupid what, uh, what these white people are doing, causing problems and making their, going into those neighborhoods and making it into a bigger issue. I think it, it's the same conversation about, well, I'm going to block the highway so then you feel uh, your life is inconvenienced just like other people's lives are inconvenienced. Well, odds are those people that are going to be waiting two or three hours in their cars have lives and have children and have emergencies and have jobs, and you're affecting that. And because you're affecting that, they're not going to vote for you in the next election. They're going to vote for someone completely opposite, which I think is what these leaders are starting to realize is that the, the public opinion is turning and turning fast. It happens in, in, in Seattle. It's happening in St. Pete. It's happening in New York, where now those politicians that were calling this summer the summer of love before five African-American children, five, American, five African-Americans were shot in Chad or Chap, whatever it's called, or when people are actually getting threatened by, by hooligans that are roaming the streets. And now you're having fistfights in the middle of restaurants because protests are going there while people are trying to have a dinner. This is going to escalate, and the politicians are to blame for allowing this to continue to escalate. When these people are arrested and for trespassing or for uh, causing a nuisance or for, for endangering people on city streets, and then those prosecutors do not file charges for them and let them go, you're allowing them, you're, you are, um, what's it called, when a child... Enabling? Enabling, yeah, you're enabling those actions and that behavior because you can't be an adult and find them and charge them for what they need to happen. And again, you can have the conspiracy theory that these blue states really wanted Trump to go in there and really take over with the National Guard, which Trump didn't take the bait whatsoever. He's not a dictator. And, but they want him to be, because they want him to ruin his reelection charges. But these protests, and now I was reading earlier, the protesters are 10 to 15, that they were meeting at City Hall every single, like twice a day, the last two months, now it's like 10 people. And so they wanted to rally around something else. There's 92, no, they're wrong. I, I have this conversation all day about how ridiculous $92 million was spent on that pier. It doesn't look like $92 million was spent on that pier. That's all I'm going to say about that. I think the original price tag was like $30 million. And we saw how quickly that ballooned. But the mayor of St. Pete has a lot of problems from sewer set, uh, seeping out into his, into the bay to violence creeping back up because he doesn't want to be a leader. Yeah, no, and you're exactly right. You know, and St. Petersburg is one of those, you know, cities that is going to have uh, social workers, you know, take the place of police officers um, regarding certain 911 calls. And, you know, a, a city that already has a lot of crime and homelessness problems, you know, this is only going to add more fuel to that fire. Uh, Licata, what do you say? Yeah, um, I, I'm glad you brought that. Part. There we go. I'm glad you brought that part up. Um, they they are doing the the community, you know, uh, officer community liaison position, and they're doing all a bunch of different things down in St. Pete. One of the things, though, that I take comfort in, and as a as a as a native to that side of the bay myself, um, is the fact that 
that's still in the sixth judicial circuit, which means it still has, we, we, you know, you still have a, uh, a state attorney's office in Bernie McCabe that is going to prosecute everything. Um, you know, and we also live in the, the amazing state of Florida where you have a sheriff's office that can go into the city and can do what needs to be done. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a great thing for us to sit around and talk about, and Oh, can you believe the mayor's doing this? You know, you know it's interesting. St. Pete's always been a very uh, progressive city, a very art centric, whether uh, that's the high arts or, or anything else, you know, it's always been an art centric city, but it's only been democratically controlled for the last like six years. And yeah. in 2021, um, I, I think that's going to come to an end. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's the first Democrat mayor and, and you know, they kind of sweeped. It's been a good mess, first showing for them. It's, it's not, it's not a good first showing. And I think um, one of the things we were talking about uh, off air is that there are Republicans in the uh, St. Pete City Council who are uh, true St. Petersburgans. So, you know, they're, they're true, you know, that they are very artsy, very progressive in a certain way, but they're still Republicans and they're still pro-business. Um, and, and they don't want all of this other, you know, you know I mean, you look at the, the past mayor, uh, Rick Baker, uh, who narrowly lost the, uh, the the 2019 election because they have uh, uh, odd numbered years elections in, in the city of St. Pete. And, uh, you know, he's not, you know, your red meat Republican by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, so, you know, St. Pete's just a very interesting place. And I think, I think everyone's waking up and they're going to go, okay, yeah, let's, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna go back to the Republicans here, um, and it's gonna have electoral issues. I think we're gonna see that also in Hillsborough. I mean, we have a big race now that's happening in for the district attorney here in Hillsborough County, who is a Democrat at the moment, and the w unwillingness to prosecute in Hillsborough County, the unwillingness to be the law and order, and we, we have our own issues, our own concerns with our current sheriff that is starting to bubble up uh, with a lot of contention right now because primaries are happening for the sheriff here in Hillsborough County. But these things need to have actions. We have a Republican that's running for the sheriff or for, for the AG position here for the district attorney, I'm sorry, here in Hillsborough County. And I think we need to start hearing from these people because I believe the Republican last time only lost by like 3,000 votes. So it's, it's possible for us to be able to retake these, these, um, these elected positions back to the Republican side. And again, I've said this before, rather have someone that I know that I can at least go to their office and yell at them or talk to them about issues than ha not even be allowed in the, in the room. And so that's why they might not be the reddest of Republicans, or at least I would be rather be dealing with someone like that than dealing with a Democrat and getting pissed off every single day because of not willing to do anything that I agree with. Uh, you yeah. Know, uh, again, the, the the you know the, of course what got us on this topic was, you know, the St. Pierre you know reopening and uh, now the protesters pretty much haven't taken it over with no recourse and uh, no no action on behalf of the city of St. Petersburg. But it's just par for the course for Rick Kreisman. You know, it's just one of these things where you know everything he touches, uh, you know, he, he dies basically, and uh, he, it, it turns to poop in the bay. Oh, you yeah, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> no more crystal <laughs> mm. 
you know, but, uh, you know, it, it was a shame that we didn't have, I think, stronger candidates to run against Christman, you know, um, uh, and but I, I don't think that's going to be the case, um, you know, come uh, time for, for the next election. And, uh, and I'm sure that the city of St. Petersburg is going to be happy to get rid of them. Yeah, if, if let me just jump in right there. I, I don't think Rick Baker, you know, I don't think you were trying to say that, but I, I don't think Rick Baker wasn't a strong candidate. I, I think the problem in the uh, 2019 election cycle there for Rick Christman's re-election was the problem of that race is normally nonpartisan. And in our hyper-partisan world, um, they both took somewhat partisan positions um, whereas in the past, the, the city has been legitimately nonpartisan in that weird, you know, he's a registered Republican, but he's very progressive in a certain way. And, and he, you know, it's a nonpartisan race. And that, that always tends to be where the center is. Um, yeah, but not, I mean, not to go too, too far down that rabbit hole. I mean, again, Baker was a great mayor, um, but he was a retread. You know, I think people were looking for fresh blood, new ideas. And then, you know, they tried to repackage him like he was the new Coke. And, uh, you know, we all know how that went. I mean, they tried right. to make him young and edgier. And it was it was horrible, horrible campaign. Um, well, they, made, I, they made tons of mistakes. And, and, and again, um, I think they, they, they could have gone, you know, with, hey, here's someone's experience. It's stable and knows what he's doing. Get us back on the right track versus, you know, um, let's try to repackage Baker into something that he's not. Uh, you know, I agree. At the same time, I, I think we kind of own that, especially as, uh, as, as young Republicans in a certain way, um, because I think the, I, I don't know if we have, you know, I mean, we're trying right now in St. Pete with, uh, with someone like Robert Blackman, um, you, we, you know, it's, uh, we just don't have that young blood that, that's that liberal Republican uh, to, you know, I can see Chris twitching in my screen. <laughs> He's like, what, what is that? But you know, it's like, we just don't own that ground. Um, and, and we don't have a candidate to run in that space. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, again, a big shout out to uh, the cast today. Chris uh, Licata, who had uh, been away for a while. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us, Christopher Kylan, and, of course, as always, Anibal Cabrera. I want to say I wasn't twitching on purpose. I'm sorry, Chris. That was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you for watching. Uh, Wait, go ahead. before we stop, before we stop, we have to do the over-under on Jocelyn Maxwell, if she's going to make it or she's not. Who, do you, who thinks that she will make it to trial? I think she makes it. I think they have an impetus to keep her to keep her alive. I think that they will have help to pay if she does not. So I'm going to say she makes it at least to the the first couple of days of trial. I, yeah, I think she, she. Go ahead. Go. I say that she she does not get uh, bail. She still is under arrest, but I do not think she'll make it to trial. I think your information will, but I don't think she will make it to trial. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, Chris Licata abstaining in, in this particular situation, but uh, I'll say she'll, she'll make it to trial, um, but uh, I don't think she's going to be with us very long, and certainly not before. I, I don't think she'll be able to get any names out. I don't think she's going to incriminate anyone um, because, uh, again, that list is very powerful. 
that she has. And so um, it is, uh, I'm sure she is, she's, I'm, I'm sure she's more afraid of the people that she can incriminate than she is of whatever comes of this trial. Um, yeah, you know, but uh, we'll see. You know, hopefully justice is served. And again, thank you guys for being on the show. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also to the audio version of our podcast on Google, Spotify, and Apple podcast platforms. I'm Johnny Torres on behalf of the Yard Sign. We'll catch you next Monday, 7 o'clock. So long, everybody. <laughs>